You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. I was going to say that I'm going to try something different this morning, but it might be a bit obvious. <laughs> Any takers on who I am dressed up as this morning? Indiana Jones, and for those who know me, know that we named our dog Indiana Jones, Indy, who was named, if you've watched the films, after Indiana Jones, who was named after the dog. So it's a dog named after the person named after the dog. But anyway, there we go. So, um, yes, looking forward to this this morning. So I've got some props and things with me, got my whip and everything. So, excellent. So if you like titles, the title for this morning's message is The Inconvenience of Obedience. The Inconvenience of Obedience. So we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going. It should be up in the, uh, and I love the font, the Indiana Jones font from Tom there. Okay, so in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up until that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehashtan. Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord that they'd given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From the watchtower to the fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Amen. So that's the, that's the passage we're looking at this morning. Uh, so I'll just keep a wee eye on the time there. Okay, so if I were to ask you what you thought was the most frequently discussed problem in the Bible, what would you say? What would you say? Now, I'm thinking I'm on safe ground by saying that most of you were probably thinking a sin, maybe a specific sin, in which case you would be mostly right, mostly right. The answer to that question is this. Idolatry. Idolatry is one of the most frequently discussed problems in the Bible. And it's clear that idolatry is sin, But from a biblical standpoint, it's more accurate to say that all sin, all sin that we've been talking about this morning, all sin is rooted in idolatry. And you might be thinking, okay, so what, John? No one bows to idols like this anymore. I certainly don't bow to this thing. It's just a prop. But, you know, we don't do that. But you know what? It doesn't apply to me. Well, the the, the thing about that is, is the the theologian Chris Wright says that's a shallow and simplistic response to the subject of idolatry. You see, idolatry leads to every other sin doing what is wrong in God's eyes, but often seems right to our own. Just like we were talking about this morning with the sin bin, which is a great kid's talk. So, just because something's mentioned many, many times in the Bible, does that mean that it's, it's easy for us to recognize, easy to identify and resolve in our lives? Well, no, as Graham was saying. Uh, you know, and to be honest, you know, I struggle with idolatry in my life, but the first step in ridding yourself of that is recognizing where it is, recognizing the idolatry in your life, recognizing the sin that we're talking about, and putting it in the sin bin. 
In Exodus 20, verse 3, we read, you shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. Literally above, you know, in terms of greatness or importance in your life, but also literally before my face. So there should be nothing between God and you, certainly not idols. And that is what that's talking about. If we, if we look at Second Kings, the passage we looked at, and I'd encourage you to look at this when you get time, what you'll see is king after king after king following the sins of the father, the, the kings before them, worshipping idols, committing idolatry, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord again and again and again and again. And that, you know, consistency there is, is, is what happened when you, when you look at that. But Israel was exiled because of the sin of idolatry, continuing to do what was easy, continuing to do uh, what was convenient and what was wrong. It would have been easy just to continue the pattern on the flow, go with the flow. Um, you know, we've heard it said, resistance is futile. That's what the Borg say. But, you know, well, what I'm going to say this morning is persistence is worthwhile. Persistence in the inconvenience of obedience. You see, Hezekiah in this passage recognized that. He decided to break with tradition, break with what the previous kings had done, make a difficult choice, a different choice. He did what was right in his eyes and in the eyes of Yahweh the Lord. So what did he do? Well, he did a Hulk smash, if we've ever seen Hulk, smash. He removed the high places. He smashed, he cut down, he broke the idols. He removed the high places. Now, interestingly, you know, prior to the temple being built, the high places were a place to worship Yahweh. But forbidden later, why? Because of the association with other ancient Near Eastern gods and because God told them to worship in the temple. You see, what they did is they thought, well, we'll hedge our bets. We'll worship Yahweh and God, but we'll also add all these other things in just to hedge our bets. Not truly trusting God. Hezekiah smashed the sacred stones. The stones were used in ceremonies. Uh, you know, for example, at the, the ratification of the, uh, of the covenant at Sinai in, in Exodus 24. And again, they were, they were approved of early in the, in, in the Old Testament, but forbidden later. Why? Because they were taken on by idolatrous Canaanite uh, cults. And, you know, and, and, and in high places with Baal worship. He also cut down the Asherah poles, poles depicting the mother goddess, Asherah. And the Canaanites often worshipped her on trees because of the association with the tree of life. What a corruption from the truth of the Garden of Eden with the tree of life. And he broke the bronze serpent. Now, as we know, Indiana Jones, Indy doesn't like snakes. He doesn't like snakes, but anyway, you know, what we read in Numbers 21, which is a good one here in terms of the bronze snake, this is, this is, this is the thing. So, so, so the Israelites were out in the desert, they, they came, you know, and they've been led to the promised land, and they started grumbling. Oh, I don't like the desert. I'm bored. Are we there yet? Are we, th are we there yet? Any kids among us say that in a car journey? You know, are we there yet? And they were mourning, so the Lord's like, oh, I'm going to send some fiery serpents. They'll go along, and maybe that'll change your mind. And so they were biting people, and people were dying. And so Moses cried out, Lord, do something. So then the Lord told Moses to fashion a, a bronze serpent, Nechashtan, and, and, and raise it high. And whoever looked on that, uh, that, that, that raised, um, you know, snake would, 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 be, would be healed. And we'll later see that a bit in the New Testament. We don't have time to go into that as a reference to Jesus. But the point here is, is, is whoever looked in that were, were healed. But then the problem was, is that people then started worshipping the object itself as God in replace of the person who gave it to them in the first place. And see, you know, each of those highlights an important point. Something good can turn into something evil if we don't watch the heart motivation behind it. 
It can become an idol. And that's, whenever, that's why it, what happens whenever we dethrone God and put ourselves in his place. The worship of tan, tangible idols is only an expression of a prior heart defection, a desire to put ourselves before God and before others. And so all other acts of idolatry begin with that heart, begin with the heart idolatry. In the words of John Calvin, I don't normally quote Calvin, but in the words of Calvin, he's got, he's got a good one here. He says, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Which reminds me, which reminds me, if you've ever seen VeggieTales, I love VeggieTales. VeggieTales. And in VeggieTales, there's the, there's the Nebi K, Nebuchadnezzar, and Rakshak and Benny, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and, and he, has a, he, has a, he tries to get him to bow down to the chocolate bunny. And he has a factory of making loads of wee idol bunnies. You know, it's like that. You know, creating all these wee idols that, that they wanted them to bow down to. And see, this is the thing. As being obedient to God is inconvenient. It's elusive. For, you know, for often we're obedient to the word up to a point. But in effect, that means we're not really fully obedient. It means that we're thinking something else is higher than our Lord. But we would never say that to ourselves. It's easy to convince ourselves otherwise. It's more convenient. And that's the rub this morning. Obedience or convenience? The hard way or the easy way? The narrow path or the easy wide path? And this is the truth this morning. is when convenience supersedes obedience, that's when we've found our idols. That's when we've found the idols in our heart, when convenience supersedes obedience. And we discover what truly rules us. So we must choose between the inconvenience of obedience and the idolatry of disobedience. We must decide who our real master is. I've got a bit, keep an eye on time, but we've got three things I'd like to talk about this morning in terms of heart idols. Things that we desire, things that we trust, and things that we need. So I'll start with things that we desire, or things that entice us to desire them. So we'll start back in Genesis chapter 3. love going right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 8. And what we see is uh, God's vice regent, you know, Adam knew it was God's prerogative as the supreme goodness of God himself to decide what constitutes good and what constitutes evil. And Adam and Eve, however, choosing to rebel against that and taking the forbidden fruit from the knowledge of the good and evil, and, you know, they claim for themselves that prerogative that's God's alone. In other words, they claim for themselves the right to decide what was good and evil and reaching beyond the, the bounds of being created beings and trying to be God themselves. So the core issue of idolatry then is the worship of self. For surely that's what Adam was doing here, deciding that he knew better than God did. Now Adam and Eve were there throughout the whole thing. That's what the text says, it's clear. They both were culpable. But the interesting thing is, 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 is when we think about that, that's permeating through society today. That we get, you know, society says, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can make the rules. You know, in the film Prometheus, there's a line in that that says, we have become gods now. We don't need God. God's dead. And that is far from the truth. It's, it's, it's a lie, a deception from the enemy. And, and this is the thing, is, is God is the final source of moral authority. And the thing is, it's just like any heart idol, it leads us to other sins. Now, let's think about it. When God quizzed them, what did they do? What did they say? So God came out and said, okay, Adam, what, you leave. What's, what's this all about? And that's when you start seeing the sin really taking root. It wasn't me, says Adam. Let's point a finger. It was them. It was, it was the women. Point the finger to the women. Now, how often, kids, do you like to blame somebody else? It wasn't me, Dad. It was them that did it. So, no, it was Eve. So Eve's like, oh, 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 it wasn't me. It was the snake. It was the snake that did it. It's the snake's fault. And, of course, the snake wanted to point a finger but didn't have a finger. I didn't have a leg to stand on anyway. So, oh, come on. It's a slippery path, slippery like a snake. 
So, you know, so that leads me to the second point, things that we trust, things that we trust. Moving on from the blame game, which is, you know, which, which leads there, we're, we're moving to things that we trust. Now, nehashtan, we talked about in the passage this morning, that technically it's a transliteration. What it really is, is, we, is, a, is a pun on the word, uh, the Hebrew word for snake and, and brass. It's like a brassy thing. That's what it was, a brassy thing, like a nickname. And to be honest, coining a, coining a kind of Scottish phrase, the Israelites had a real brass neck, worshipping the brassy thing. But the thing is, as soon as we can see that you know, things that used to be for healing are no longer so, our heart is turning to idolatry. And this idolatry is seen really well in the idolatry of the golden calf, if you remember that, in, 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 you know, in the desert. So Moses is up in Exodus 24, up Mount Sinai, you know, another career change, being God's secretary, who said secretaries don't have an important role. So you know, he's up there you know, with the Ten Commandments. He left the Israelites for 40 days, 40 nights, and the Israelites were like demanding of Aaron, oh, make us a God to go before us. And Aaron gathered up the Israelites, gold earrings and everything else. You know, I've got, my, got another wee illustration here, so where, where, where's it? Gold, gold ring. So he gathered all the gold rings together, and, uh, and he said, okay, um, you know, what, what we want you to do is we want you to, uh, to, to make us this, this God. So take your jewelry off, and then and he gave them and, you know, and, 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 and they, to make a golden calf. And so they took them, and this is your God, O Israel, he said, that brought you out of Egypt. Despite the fact that they were, they'd seen God move in power, they were deceived into that, into that thing, and that's the thing. But just like in the Garden of Eden, what happened next when they were challenged? Moses came back down and challenged them. He came down and challenged them. And what was the excuse? Sin leads to sin. Idolatry leads to more sin. And he said, well, and this is the best bit, one of the best excuses in the whole Bible. It takes the dog ate my homework right to the next level. What he says is he says, yeah, well, it's not my fault. It's these people. They just, they, they demanded a God. So, so what I did is I got all the rings together and all the jewelry and all the gold and I threw it into the fire. I threw it into the fire and out popped a golden calf. It just popped out there. It's not my fault. It just popped. You should read it yourself. It's, uh, it's uh, Exodus 32. It just popped out there. Absolute classic. I'll pop that down there. So, you know, excuses. It's the blame game, again. And this is the thing, is idolatry of the heart wants us to, to, to worship something else. It's going to give us permission to do what we want. Permission to, um, to go follow our own desires. Lead to other sins. Casting off restraint. Telling lies. Storytelling. The blame game, like we're seeing with a sin bucket. But, you know, Jesus can solve this when we come to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the third thing I want to say this morning is this. Things we need. So the things we need that we can trust God for, he knows that we need them. And though often these things can turn our hearts into idolatry, seeking them rather than God himself. You know, even seeking the gifts of the Spirit. If we seek the gifts of the Spirit at all costs, we're missing out on seeking the one who gives good gifts. It's about relationship with the Father through Jesus, not about seeking other things, seeking reward for our own benefit. It's about for God and our lives for him. So if we bring it back to our passage in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, Hezekiah removed a number of idols. And the principles behind them, you might think, oh, this is Old Testament, this doesn't apply today. Trust me, it applies today. It's as relevant today as it is then. Because, you know, the idols telling us that we need to trust them rather than God, a lie of the enemy himself, 
High places, high places. Where do you go for highs outside of God? Where do you go for highs outside of God's presence? Sacred stones. What objects have become sacred to you that you spend more time with than you do with God and his presence? Asherah poles. What do we think brings us life and helps us live life to the full outside of Jesus? The bronze snake. Where do we go for healing and comfort outside of God? Money, food, drink, other sensual comforts? What about church objects, buildings, and, you know, communion, for example? Communion doesn't save you. That's just a symbol. It's a ritual act of remembering what Jesus has done. Because we're in relationship with him, he saved us, we accept him as Lord, and we're saved and set free from the power of darkness and sin and death. But that leads me to the next wee example that I've got in here. Does anyone know what this is? It's the, it's the Holy Grail, what Indiana Jones was looking for in the third film. And the thing, thing, the thing there was, is he was seeking this because they believed that the, the cup itself had innate healing power. But the cup is just a cup. It doesn't have any healing power. Just like when Moses went, to, you know, and I saw God in the burning bush, the sand itself doesn't hold any holiness in its chemical makeup. It was holy because God's presence was there. And that's the thing, is that we can, we can turn even things that are, that are, that are for our blessing and, and seek them rather than God himself. You know, in Judaism, the focus was on the temple, the priesthood, and sacrifice. But Jesus fulfilled all three himself. We can come to him and be set free. We can come to him knowing that, 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 he, that he will save us from sin and death. And in Matthew 6, 24, we read, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And see, that's the foundational truth of idolatry, is that it begins with a heart, and that heart idolatry is one of self-indulgence, as, self-indulgence, as I mentioned earlier. It's easy to go with the flow, go with what our friends say at school, go with what our families say, go with what society says. It's easy to go along with that, with peer pressure and bow to the idol of disobedience. But we can, in the name of Jesus' power this morning and the Holy Spirit, we can choose the inconvenience of obedience. We can see transformation. We can see change. We can be set free. How do we resist the idolatry of greed? By practicing interconnected virtues of generosity and hospitality. How do we resist the the idolatry of money? By giving generously, freely, and open-handedly. How do we, you know, best resist the idolatry of church objects and things? Coming back to a heart of worship and repentance and full heart commitment to the Lord. As we read in Psalm 51, a pure and contrite heart. The best way to get rid of the idolatry of desire is to recommit our love fresh, our life, our whole being, like we were saying this morning, uh, you know, hungry I come to you. Our whole self committing that completely in allegiance, devotion, fealty, fidelity, and loyalty to Jesus as the only one true king, king of kings, lord of lords, there is no other. Jesus, our only king, nothing else creeping in. With idols, as we've said, leading to blame, bitterness, and bondage, but with Jesus, we can see and know freedom, forgiveness, and favor. Freedom, forgiveness, and favor with God and each other. So, as I'm just kind of bringing this to a close, if the band would like to come back up. Um, one of the fundamentals that we read in Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 uh, is this. You become what you worship. 
You become what you worship. In Psalm 135, it says that we will become like the idols we worship if we worship idols. But we, conversely, we can become like Jesus. We can become like him. If we trust him, we give our whole heart to him. So we can either become like the, worship, the idols or we can become like Jesus and being transformed into his likeness. So my challenge this morning is this. Has something or someone besides Jesus taken the title to your heart? Your trust, the preoccupation, your loyalty and service and fear delight. Has something else other than Jesus taken that from you this morning? Or to put it another way, who or what rules our behavior? Has convenience overtaken obedience? Has it? So when we, when we think about this, the Lord can set us free. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 in the New Testament, we read, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So we read in the New Testament. That's the NIV. But I quite like the NLT here. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart, which is the biblical definition of idolatry that we're talking about this morning. You see, when you commit yourself to be a follower of Jesus and accept him as Lord and King and repent and turn from your sins, throwing them into the sin bucket, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get a three-pointer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three-pointer, you can get it. You know, and that is through the power of Jesus, what he's done for you and for me and for each of us. And he can do for those who are lost out there in the community in Bowness. And that's the thing is, is when we commit ourselves to be a follower of Jesus and accept him, we can, start we can start the blessing of being born again, the blessings of becoming, becoming who we were created to be, becoming who you were created to be, becoming more and more like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He helps us with obedience. So just in closing, you can be set free this morning. You just have to call out to God, just like we're saying in the kids' talk. You just have to call out to God. He's just a prayer away. And if you'd like to, to pray that prayer or be encouraged or be prayed for to be set free or encouraged, just ask any of the leaders. Ask. We'll happily pray for you. We'll happily pray for you this morning. So just to wrap up, make the decision today to fully and completely follow Jesus alone in inconvenient obedience. Amen. Amen.